National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. This weekend, men and women, young and old, from around the country rallied in demonstration of the tragedy of abortion. Their protest marks the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which was decided 50 years ago on January 22, 1973, despite the fact that Roe has now been overturned. Pro-life organizers told the Register's national reporter, Loretta Brown, that marches are now more important than ever. She joins us now to explain why. Then we turn to a different kind of pro-life question, Is human composting a moral option? Register columnist John Grindelsky joins us to explain the church's teaching on proper Christian burial. I'm Jeanette DeMello, executive director of the National Catholic Register and host here on Register Radio. This weekend, as I mentioned, demonstrators gathered in many places. Um, Washington, D.C. was probably the largest march for life. It was on Friday. And then in California on Saturday, there were two marches, a Walk for Life West Coast in San Francisco and One Life L.A. in Los Angeles. Of course, despite the milestone of Roe v. Wade being overturned last summer with the Dobbs decision, We still need to march, many say. Uh, In fact, they're calling this a pivotal moment. Loretta, you've been covering this moment for the Register for quite some time now. Um, Welcome back to Register Radio. Thanks, Jeanette. I'm I'm happy to be here talking about all this in this moment. Yes, it's an exciting moment, and, and you know you were able to participate in March for Life activities uh, there in Washington, uh, given your location, so that's, that's great. You've, you've brought us a lot of coverage on ncregister.com. Drawing from your conversations with pro-life leaders, why is it so important for them to keep marching? Certainly, yeah. Well, there's there's definitely a shift in in focus um, because of Roe being overturned. So you know there are some things that are different. But as you know, you mentioned earlier, everyone I talked to said you know it's more important than ever to speak out on this issue and to come out on this this issue. And so you know, one thing I kept hearing is, okay, Roe is over, but not abortion, right? Abortion is still legal in the majority of the states in this country, and so. The pro-life movement is really, you know, the movement against legal abortion and fighting for the protection of unborn life. And so I really saw that, you know, as soon as the March for Life started planning all these things and, and talking about this, is they really focused on, you know, what can we do to continue to uh, defend unborn life? And, you know, they, they looked at some next steps. So the theme for this year's march was the next steps, marching into a post-Row America, right? Um, and there were a few things, really, that were focused on. One was helping women. You know, the pro-life movement has always had resources for women and, and focused on that. But what, what I've heard and seen more than ever is that really needs to intensify. You know, that needs to be ramped up and and really just um, continued so strongly because women need those resources and that, that education on this issue and um, just help, you know. <laughs> and then another element was a focus on the states now, you know, since uh, Dobbs freed up, um, you know, returned or, yeah, rather returned the issue to the states where, you know, states can can 
um, you know, have heartbeat bills, uh, limit abortion to 15 weeks. You know, they can put in their, their limits and advocate for that. And so in each state, to the extent that pro-life limits, um, pro-life protections are able to be put in place, you know, pro-lifers in those states really need to fight for that. <laughs> and um, so that was a big focus that the March for Life talks about. And then also just at the federal level, there's so many things that need to be, you know, discussed and fought for. And I think, uh, you know, Congress is still working some of <laughs> some of that out. Obviously, pro-lifers don't have a majority there. But there is a discussion of maybe we can push for a, a consensus position of, you know, 15 weeks. There was a new Marist poll that said the vast majority of Americans want to limit abortion to the first trimester. So that's why I think it's, it's so vital for lawmakers, or it was so vital for for lawmakers to see, um, you know, the, the March for Life gathered right at their doorstep. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. That same Marist poll, uh, you know, mentioned how many people don't identify, the majority doesn't identify with the term pro-life, um, but really would, would say they're pro-choice, and yet they still support restrictions. And so that's a very interesting message, you know, that, that people are a little concerned about um, terminology and language, but they, they, they agree on, um, on restrictions. So I would say there's a lot of work to be done in the area of, of, uh, conversations and, con you, you know, getting on the same page, communication, um, messaging, uh, and as you said, uh, helping them to understand that, um, the pro-life movement is absolutely in support of women, uh, and needs to be more and more so, so that they don't feel the need to have an abortion ever. Um, and so that message has been coming out uh, loud and clear. Um, one of the things that I've noticed has shifted um, when we look to the states, because as I mentioned, there was the Walk for Life uh, in San Francisco and the One Life in LA um, happening Saturday, but there's also uh, marches all over the country happening, and that used to be concentrated pretty well in January. There are a few. Texas has a few marches in January and whatnot. But it seems like other states have actually uh, decided on different timing. Uh, and I find that interesting. They're not restricted any longer to kind of um, um, marking the tragedy of uh, Roe vs. Wade on uh, uh, Roe v. Wade on on the 21st of January. And so that's an interesting thing for, for, for people to watch for is what's happening in their own state. Um, when will that march take place and how can, can you be a part of it uh, to make sure that voices are being heard and especially it's something that attracts the media and, and they'll tell our story a little better. Um, so Loretta, I think it's important for us to always kind of point to the, the, the different ways that people can get involved. Um, why is a march important? You spoke to two people um, who uh, articulated what the march did for them. Sister Mary Grace of the Sisters of Life and, and Bishop Burbage, they both spoke about how it impacted them as young people. Um, going there when, you know, Bishop Burbage said when he was a seminarian, it just really impacted him. And, and the same was true of Sister Mary Grace before she was a sister, just seeing the march. Um, told him, you know, it helped them to understand this is... This is, um, there's a community around this. Uh, I'm not alone in my pro-life convictions. There are many other people. So how are the marches, how is the movement trying to, to reach out to young people? 
Yeah, well, they're they're trying that in a lot of ways, really. I think it's it's being seen now that that's so crucial is is reaching the young people. And um, you know, one new event this year was Life Fest, which was um, you know before the March for Life in the early morning, and um, it was for for young people. It it sold out. I, I forget if it was within a week or within two weeks of it being announced. Either way, very impressive. Um, clearly, was a you know popular event, and um, the message that Life Fest has was because love is the answer. And it talked about the importance of helping women in these situations and educating on unborn life. And I think that was so beautiful that it was a, an event put on by the Sisters of Life and the Knights of Columbus. And I think events like that are so key because, I mean, there are these moments, you know, you mentioned Bishop Burbage and Sister Mary Grace. And I I related so strongly when they were telling me about those moments because I remember as, you know, a 12 year old <laughs> going to the Youth for Life rally, um, you know, put on by the Archdiocese of Washington in the past and and really just being blown away by the amount of people there, the amount of, um, frankly, like priests and religious um, and getting to encounter them in this setting um, and and hearing these amazing stories about life, um, you know, about these, these women in need getting, getting the help that they needed about, um, you know, people talking who had been, uh, who had been saved from abortion, you know, their, their mother considered it. Um, and I think we, we need to double down on that more than ever, these events to really reach young people, you know, and, and, you know, there can be concerts involved. There can be talks from, from different cool speakers. I mean, I think there are people brains have been brainstorming different ways of, of reaching young people. Um, Absolutely. but I think, yeah, it definitely needs to continue. And the message, of course, because love is the answer, is a very important one because what we're seeing today is that opponents of abortion are very angry. And, uh, and that's not the response that pro-lifers have, have, have meted out in large part. The, the response of pro-lifers has been and, and, and should be one of love. Let's figure out this problem together. How can we love you better while also loving that unborn child? And so I think young people more than any need to see that and hear it uh, in large with large groups because then they do not feel isolated if they happen to be at school um, with a lot of, of pro-choice or, or pro-abortion pressure. So Loretta, as, as you mentioned at the start of this, uh, a lot of the marches were focused on looking ahead. Can you give us some, uh, some idea of what we're looking ahead to this year as we close? Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, in terms of Congress, I know we've already seen some measures, uh, frankly, just <laughs> aimed at exposing some extremism on the issue from from Democrats, from pro-abortion lawmakers, um, you know, like the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, just providing basic care to, you know, a child born after a failed abortion. And, you know, I, I think one Democrat, maybe two, voted along with Republicans for that. And so I think in Congress, we're going to continue to see measures like that, just bare minimum, you know, like very basic things that unfortunately may not get a lot of support 
bipart in a bipartisan way, but are important so that the American people can see, like, this is what the pro-life movement, <laughs> these are what pro-lifers in Congress are, are working towards. And then on the state level, I think we're going to continue to see efforts to put in place good pro-life protections. Um, I think it's now in, in 15 states, there's some strong pro-life protections. And I think that's that's only going to continue. Um, so that that's something to, to look forward to and, and to work towards. Um, I mean, obviously varies for, for every state, but there's just true pro-life, um, you know, debates to be had in every state that will continue. And I think we'll continue to see promising legislation now that that's possible. Well, the upcoming print edition of the Register is focused on this very thing. It's the January 29th print, print edition, and it focuses on this look ahead. It focuses on what's happening in the states and what we can expect. Loretta, I'm always grateful uh, for your reporting, and I thank you for your contribution. When we come back, we'll turn from the beginning of life to the end of life. Register contributor John Grindelsky talks of the problem with human composting as a burial option. This is Register Radio on EWTN. There's more when we return. For nearly a century, the National Catholic Register has been moving minds, moving hearts, moving souls, and enriching our readers' lives by spreading the truth of the gospel. Today, that tradition continues with award-winning journalism that goes beyond any secular news service while bringing much-needed light and clarity to the issues and events that affect you and your family's future, all with faithful and courageous reporting guided by the teachings of the Catholic Church. It's more important than ever to join Catholics who depend on the register. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. We're turning in our conversation from the efforts that sanctify the dignity of the unborn child to now talking about what should we do with our bodies when we die. You know, in a handful of states, it's now legal to put a deceased person into a vessel with microbes that eat the body, resulting over time in so many cubic yards of soil amendment, as they say. Uh, and this has come to be known as human composting. Uh, this process might be legal in some places, but really, should it ever be an option for Catholics? That's our subject today with Register columnist John Grandelsky. John is a former associate dean of the School of Theology at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. Uh, and John, welcome back to Register Radio. Thanks for having me, Jeanette. You know, this is not a pleasant topic, um, but it's one that you are willing to take up, and, and really you don't do so reluctantly. You've written at the Register about proper, proper burial many times. Why is this so important? It's important because it talks about the significance and the sacredness of the body, as well as the meaning of being 
incarnate as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk about recomposting, but that's not the only method that uh, that is being pushed in the name of some sort of ecological sensitivity. Uh, a number of states have also adopted something called uh, alkaline hydrolysis, which is basically dissolving the body into uh, into a fluid that can then be uh, can be cast off or dismissed or used to water your garden. Or uh, there is a town in uh, in England that has been using this fluid as a way of heating their their town pool. Uh, so. It, Essentially, it reduces the body to some sort of a useful commodity. Right, right. It's really amazing to think about, uh, even even think about this. But but some people are very convinced of it. I was um, I was troubled to read in the story that uh, our reporter Matt McDonald has done on human composting, the human composting debate. If you search that on our website, you'll find this story. I was disturbed because it seems like in states where they have uh, been hearing bills of this kind or even passed legislation of this kind, most people seem to support it. If they're aware of it, they seem to support it. And that is troubling. <laughs> I mean, these are they're the Washington, Colorado, Vermont, New York, uh, California, some of our most liberal states, Oregon, are, are passing laws like this. But it's disturbing just how many people are supporting it, John. And I think we have a lot of education to do. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm willing to take this up on Register Radio, you know, every so often, because I think we need to, to have, to let people, help people to hear what the church actually teaches about Christian burial. Uh, can you, can you tell us that? What is the what are the basic principles that the, the Vatican, the Catholic Church for centuries, has taught about uh, burial? Well, what the Church teaches about burial is absolutely tied up with what the Church thinks about the human body, and it's precisely that issue that is the subject of huge amounts of confusion today. Uh, what we do in our body after death is, is not some set of rules that the Church has established, it, it flows out of our anthropology, out of the way that we look at what a human being is. And when we think of the body simply as something subpersonal, that we're in the wrong body or the wrong gender, or that uh, at some point when a person is profoundly handicapped or terminally ill, they somehow alchemically turn into a vegetable, uh, or that the fetus is a clump of cells, then what we're really saying is that the body is not a human being. We reduce the human being to consciousness, to their mind, and the body is then just, you know, a couple of hundred pounds of blubber, uh, chemicals attached that, that creates a waste disposal problem. The Church uh, hasn't directly addressed the issue of uh, recomposting in, in a direct way uh, because it's so new. Uh, as far as I know, there's only one bishop that's even written about this, and that's uh, Archbishop Jackals out in Iowa, and you know, I criticized this letter uh, in, in the register about a, over a year ago. 
I think really what we need to go back to is the Church's uh, affirmation that the Church, respecting the human body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, respecting it as a personal uh, aspect of the human person, wants Christians to be buried uh, as their Lord and Master was buried, as we, as you know, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took Christ's body to the tomb. Uh, and, I, and I would argue in a lot of ways that, you know, while people may be uh, aesthetically stomach-turned at, at turning Uncle Joe into, uh, you know, some, some manure and, uh, uh, and soil pilings, nevertheless, we're kind of doing the same thing with the popularity that cremation has among Catholics. Mm-hmm. And I do want to turn to that. So, you know, the church has allowed a cremation. So their primary teaching is that really the, the body should be buried. Um, and, and there should be a Christian funeral. Um, uh-huh. for, right? Yes. But they have allowed, um, it, they say, for sanitary, economic, and social re- reasons... Uh, that uh, remains can be cremated, but it requires actually burying those remains uh, in a cemetery or as in a mausoleum. Uh, they say, the church says that the ashes should not be scattered or stored in, in your home or something of that kind. Um, that really burial is ultimately what every body uh, should, should have. Every Christian body, every body, really. Every body, yeah. Ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you have um, you have criticized uh, cremation. What are the reasons uh, that that you uh, put forward for uh, to, to state that that isn't the best way um, to uh, respect the body? Again, because you know, the Church addressed this issue most recently in 2016, the Vatican. Uh, published an instruction on this where it specifically talked about don't turn, uh, don't scatter ashes, don't uh, condense ashes into an uh, amulet or a pendant that you wear on your neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, your mother is not jewelry, uh, and you know, it, it doesn't respect the dignity of the body. And this is the same problem that you're facing with composting. I mean, uh, if... There's no resting place. I mean, we talk about the cemetery as a final resting place of Christians. Uh, Cremation, composting, all these things destroy the ability of a resting place because there's no body. And and, and I would argue very, very strongly that, in fact, uh, the reason our culture of death is so ascendant in American culture is the fact that people are out of touch with the realities of dying yes. uh, and a dead body. I recently attended a funeral uh, here in Falls Church in Virginia, and, and it really struck me that, you know, there's no body. There was, you know, kind of uh, a little, you know, package and a big picture of, uh, of the deceased. And, and so, you know, we, we turn the deceased into a memory, not into mm-hmm. a person. I think that's why a lot of people were frankly, uh, you know, didn't know how to deal with the recent funeral of Pope Benedict XVI, because all of a sudden we got a 
body here, and we've got, you know, uh, and the Pope, you know, for whatever criticisms one might make of this homily, the Pope didn't turn it into a eulogy. He talked about the meaning of Christian life and Christian service and not a, uh, you know, salutation or a paean to the deceased. Right, right. So just to reiterate, I mean, what we're talking about here is uh, the incarnational reality of our our bodies exactly. <laughs> and of our loved ones and this is that's those are the terms that uh father um tad used in our in our story he's from the national catholic bioethics center mm-hmm. and he's confirming exactly what you said that that uh that this is all um for us to understand really who we are and where we're destined to go. <laughs> you know, there is to be the resurrection of the body, our Christian teaching te- uh, tells us. And if we really believe that, it should have some effect both in how we live, but also um, how we're treated when we die. The, one of the reasons many people turn to this, this is the reason um, uh, Bishop Jekylls had written about it, was he says, well, maybe there's some merit in being green about how we bury. You know, all the chemicals, embalming chemicals could be bad for the, the environment. Uh, you have another uh, alternative for green burial. What's yeah, that? Clearly, clearly the church does not say you need to be buried in a bronze casket and that you need to be embalmed and that you need to be pumped with formaldehyde. Uh, there are lots of green burials uh, that occur in Catholic cemeteries with a simple wooden box, as was once the case uh, for most Christian funerals, without embalming. Uh, at the same time, you know, we, there is a need for some measure of public uh, health care because you know we don't want uh, seepage into water tables either. Uh, But I think if you talk to most uh, Catholic funeral directors, certainly they are aware of the opportunities for for green burial. And look, I understand that lots of Catholics have taken to cremation not because they're making some sort of a theological statement, but simply because it is cheaper. Right. Uh, But you know there are alternatives out there that the uh, you know American way of death doesn't necessarily imply. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. At the, at the same time, if I can you know throw in one thing, you know we're, we're talking here somewhat about the uh, the strangeness of uh, composting. Uh, just two months ago, the New York Times gave us a new. Uh, uh, the new front in this world that hasn't perhaps even you know, hit the news that much so far, uh, with so many people deciding to tattoo their bodies, uh, there are no funeral directors that will enable you to remove your loved one's tattoo and uh, wow. tan his hide so you can hang it on your wall, which kind of gives a new idea to uh, tie me kangaroo down. Yeah, yeah. It will again, John. This goes back to what you what you said. We have lost touch um, with with who we are, exactly. um, anthropology, who we were created to be, and that causes all kind of um, of tragedies. Really, I talked in the first segment about the tragedy of abortion, and this truly is another tragedy because uh, it it just shows how far we've come from who we are.
The tragedy is that we're alienated from ourselves, and we need exactly. to get back to ourselves. And God. <laughs> that's, uh, because that is what the message of this Christmas season is as well, that you know, God became incarnate. God didn't become uh, you know, simply a spirit. He became true man. Absolutely. John, I appreciate all the writing that you've done at ncregister.com on the moral issues around death and dying uh, and burial. And our listeners can find that information at ncregister.com by searching human composting or Christian burial. Remember, for more news analysis and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For my producer, Jeff Burson, and myself, Jeanette DeMello, I pray that until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.